Hey guys, Craig McLean here again, your host of the Kyra London podcast. Hey, today we've got Dr. Caitlin McGregor on and look, she's not only a really great friend of mine and a wife of uh, someone I study with, so these guys are the ultimate Cairo couple, but Caitlin is the first person I've really spoken to on here who balances somehow being a chiropractor, being a mom, owning a business, and she was also part of a midwifery, private midwifery team, and we get into that as we go. But uh, the purpose of this conversation initially, while I've listed it out here, as trying to outline three main things, which was a bit about Cairo and pregnancy and why it's a good idea, uh, a little bit about chiropractors who fall pregnant and maybe don't follow the advice they give to people uh, for themselves. Um, we really kind of get into this in terms of you know, how long should you be practicing as a chiropractor? What happens when you do 150 or so short, sharp pelvic floor contractions when you're adjusting someone through pregnancy? Uh, also, at what point in time should you return to practice chiropractic once you've, you've had your baby and, and how long you know, is ideal maternity leave? Uh, you know, we, we kind of look at all sorts of things around that. She's um, obviously had two children herself. Um, but, as, uh, you know, it's pretty unusual for a male, myself being male, having a conversation like this. But it kind of stems from the fact that, that I'm really trying to get a bit more information out there to help not just our crew at Cara London, but also any female chiropractors out there who or really anyone who falls pregnant, uh, who's, who's just looking for a little bit of information about, you know, what's the best thing to do when you fall pregnant. We were, uh, yeah, I love this idea that she brought up of the, um, a lot of people go into a lot of research about how to prepare their body for not just pregnancy, but a lot of people know how to prepare their body for preconceptive uh, preparation is something that's going on a lot and you know yes there's a lot of health and nutrition and exercise and all sorts of things but one of the things that isn't spent a lot of time on is is like career and finances around what happens when you turn off for a moment your source of income if you're a self-employed person chiropractor so yeah we get into that so um, what's really great about this is we kind of flip it about, you know, we don't really talk about Cairo and pregnancy at all until we get towards the end. And then she gives some super insightful information about when you're adjusting people, what has worked really well for her. So do push on to the end to get some insight about that and her time at the private midwifery center. Anyway, I'll stop rabbiting on. Uh, let's have a listen to what Caitlin and I got up to. Caitlin McGregor, welcome to the Cairo London Hi. podcast. It is lovely to speak to you this fine morning, night, whatever we're up to on different parts of the world. Well, let's do that. Like I'm sat in London on a beautiful summer's day. Not that we're going to timestamp this at all, but um, uh, where are you uh, and 
on we the are tucked away at home, yeah, in Bowen Heads, down south in Victoria, Australia. And I am I've had my full on mum mode um on this afternoon. We've had rowing, we've had tutoring, we've had other sports, meetings, emails, school interviews, end of term assessments, blah, blah, blah. So it's all so at me. For those of you, uh, those listeners out there, and we obviously have a huge listener base, uh, and everyone's very excited to have you on, Caitlin. Um, but, um, <laughs> no, but seriously, <laughs> I I really wanted to get you on because, well, not only because we we caught up in June, July in London when you guys were travelling uh, with your husband Andy, very good mate of mine. Uh, chiropractor as well and so you guys are the chiro couple with uh, a couple of young kids uh, James and Violet who are mid-teenagers and we were just kind of chatting uh, on the you know at a cool little restaurant on the Thames and we got kind of stuck into some of these little issues that we had to sort of try and um, not go too deep into and we're like we really should get and record some of this stuff and the reason why I wanted to get you on is because I kind of see that you are I don't know. There's a, well, I haven't spoken to anyone directly who is a uh, really strong female role model for chiropractors, who is a mom, who is a business owner, who is uh, someone who I think is super knowledgeable about not just family chiropractic, but um, but you know, you also have worked directly with birthing teams in a private midwifery offering. And so there's there's so much here that we can kind of un, unpack, you know, and and I can't wait to to get into it. But but effectively I, I want to sort of start doing a bit of a standard chat about Cairo and pregnancy and why it's so important. But yeah. then sort of move into you as the business owner and some gems you have about how we should be maybe supporting female chiropractors who are pregnant or business owners or you know everything from like uh self-employed or business owner female Cairo who don't have the support um that say a a a proper like high level job of a you know if you're a lawyer or whatever you have this unbelievable maternity package and support in that process you know sometimes so, <laughs> yeah sometimes sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> Ho- hopefully and sometimes but Yes. Um, and, and you know, can we start with one thing? It is the end of the day here at end of term. You're fresh out of school holidays back into, into, uh, into the, you know, into the next term now. That's why you waited, but I'm crawling to the finish line. So you just asked me like 75 questions in one and my brain went ding, ding, ding. Um, but yeah, no, I would love to, I would love to talk on, on all of those things. Um, well, just start by giving us a little introduction yeah. about um, what you're currently doing uh, professionally, you know. Yeah, sure. So I work with uh, a fabulous group of people, but Andy, I joined Andy um, as our practice was in its infancy. So nearly it was 20 years ago that well, the practice is heading for 21, actually. I joined him in its early couple of years and have been travelling along working in a, a pretty broad family practice. Um, we see people of all ages um, and it's a little bit old school. Um, we're really lucky. We've got some really long-serving um, both Kairos and CAs. I actually listened to a podcast that you recorded with Edwina just for a little bit across about that whole idea of a career associate, you know, and look, we're lucky 
um, to have been working beside some chiropractors for a long time. So the whole culture in our practice is about is about you know the relationships with the people um, our clients have been with us for decades, continuity of care and community, um, and travelling along you know with people through the ages and stages of life is really what we're about and um you know for those of us who got cracking with the family practice a couple of decades ago it's a pretty lush um place to be at this time of your career where you know you you show up each day and you look at this amazing group of people that you're going to get to check um who you've known for a really long time and watch them grow and evolve so practice is is pretty fun. Um, I started my mum journey and my chiropractic journey almost at the same time. So, you know, hooked up with the hot, slightly older chiropractor and didn't muck around, <laughs> aka Andy. Um, and so was probably um, motivated to start a family a little sooner. So I sort of found myself a new graduate and pregnant um, intentionally um but at the same time which is almost against the grain and and you know I'm jumping around combos skipping ahead here but typically you know we would see women step into uni it's a big commitment it's five years plus you know most of us to to spit out the other other side of a chiropractic um degree and really then people like well I better you know I better work for a few years before I think about or find myself in a situation where I want to start a family so really the late 20s and, and into 30s uh, is probably when people would have um, children. And I'm, you know, I'm 43 now um, and I've still got great close friends that were I was at college with who have still got, you know, preschoolers at home, like some of my best friends. I've got the Arnie Caitlin gig happening in full flight right now, which I love. Yeah. But um, I did things kind of back to front. So both of the kids I had by 30 um, and so I was emerging and learning both my sort of um, my interest in family practice probably grew parallel to my absolute NFI um, on the whole mothering gigs. <laughs> so it was like we're just winging this parenting thing. Our kids are about the same age as yours. So as much as we've got maybe some really strong values around health and how that all goes, let's face it, none of us know what the hell we're doing, um, especially in the teenage zone. It's a really good, really good point you made, though, about the, you know, you, that is a unique thing that you've done whereby you've, you've kind of most female chiropractors do that thing whereby they practice for 10 years and then even if they're specializing in or sort of really trying to help that community of people who are mums, pregnant, um, kids, family, all that sort of stuff, they do it from a, a lens that is without personal experience, you know what I mean? Mm. And, yeah. uh, and, and that's something that I think is probably quite difficult for most people who, you know, if you don't actually, or, you know, I, I bet you you perceived it very differently after having a baby, some of the advice oh. and recommendations and uh, stuff than before, you know. Um, yeah, absolutely. And our dear friend who you would know as well, Andrew Cameron, so he's a chiropractor um, in Victoria here as well, He's actually our eldest godfather. So um, he said to me, you know, I was the best parent in the world until I had children. And I was like, it's one of those, like it's literally probably 17 years ago that he said that to me. Yeah. And But honestly, it comes into mind all the time. And I think there's a way, you know, chiropractors have got a view and a way in which we approach 
our much of how we live our lives and um, sometimes you know it doesn't quite manifest in the way that we anticipated so um, all those beautiful parenting challenges were happening kind of at the same time as um, as I was graduating into practice and you know Andy's view on practice was kind of like um, you know, chuck the phone in the car and let's head to see if the surf's working, you know, and just shut down the office for a couple of hours so I can jump in and have a quick surf in the afternoon. <laughs> when I arrived, she was a very different little practice to what it is now. Um, and I'd been lucky enough to work as a CA for some phenomenal chiros in Melbourne while I was at uni. So um, David Cahill, Helen Olivaki, um, there was some, yeah, great people in my sphere who I'd, you know, I'd looked at their systems and procedures and their way of connecting and communicating and educating and all of those things kind of were sort of, I didn't realise at the time, you're in it, um, you're in it and you don't realise how much you're being bathed and supported and mentored by, you know, by association. Let's, so it was really... Just, well, I was going to say, let's just sort of carry on that journey though in terms of sure. like you then graduating, being pregnant at the same time, but then let's just maybe look at your professional career as a chiropractor and mom, mm-hmm. uh, both yeah. in terms of then that obviously, you know, you had that unique situation of being a relatively new graduate and a mom at the same time and you somehow then integrated sort of carrying on professionally uh, yeah. and with young kids as well. So I guess two things, how did you do that specifically in terms of like even hours done and, and uh, yeah. shifts yeah. done yeah. as a mom? And then secondly, let's go down that route of how you got involved in the birth house and uh, private midwifery, you know? Yeah, sure, sure. So um, point, point. I'm going to go to point B first because I think it sort of fits in. So when we were exploring... Um, upskilling and now how the hell do you be pregnant and have a baby thing um I you know we went and did a couple of typical birth classes and things like that as new parents would loop into and they were really great and helpful but I also felt like I was just coming off I sort of had done a year of science before bridging into Cairo um I took the long route which was which was great it actually sort of had a little bit of segue I did some other bits and pieces along the way but essentially Um, I'd done seven years at uni when I spat out. So my sort of sense of inquiry was very high and I found the old, you know, parenting and birth class is pretty dry. So at the time um, I thought, I'll stuff this. I'm actually going to go and do some professional development in the birthing space. So I went and did, um, there was this amazing lady, her name was Andrea Robertson and she taught uh, active birthing to midwives. And I, you know, sent her a letter and said, you know, I'm pregnant. Um, I'm a chiropractor. I know this program mostly for midwives but would you would would you be open to a registration from a chiropractor she's like yeah sure no worries so I went up to Melbourne and you know did this sort of three-day course and I was like oh this is kind of cool and I'm in this room with really who are the movers and shakers of the sort of midwifery caseloading programs and things like that in Melbourne and the the wisdom that they brought to the room just being in the room was kind of like gosh I'm learning so much about biomechanics, neurophysiology, like what happens to a body in pregnancy, but they're very much teaching it through a midwifery model and lens. I'm kind of coming at it from a Cairo lens, which, you know, that's an interesting thing to talk about actually. But then that sort of just developed due to a hunger. I I went and sat in on some of Rhea Dempsey's work. Um, she's written a really cool book called Birthing Wisdom. If you're a chiropractor, 
you totally have a copy that you either know yourself or give out to people. Um, and I sat on some of her doula, essentially sort of did her doula training um, without doing the the assignments at the end because I'd had a baby. Um, but the reality was I sort of stepped sideways and did professional development in the midwifery and birth space to sort of upskill as a mum, but then that also then gave me all this cool, juicy information that I could bring back to practice. Hey, I um, think that basically really underlines or summarises the approach you have to maybe professional life there where let me just recap it from my way I'm looking at that, right? You're a pregnant yeah. chiropractor who's contacting the midwifery private midwife training, sort of doula, tra- doula training, and you're like, yeah. how many pregnant chiropractors ever turned up to that program? And I bet you the answer is zero, right? Um, yeah, but yeah. let alone, you know, you as a, if you weren't a chiropractor, sat in that room having not, you know, what it's like, uh, there's no instruction book with pregnancy uh, and delivery. And yeah. so all of a sudden you're then getting <laughs> the best instruction booklet ever in this room. Yeah which is yeah. probably partly terrifying but also partly really uh, insightful, right? Um, yes, and, so um, insightful, like mind-blowing <laughs> insightful. And probably really early on in my career um, helped me to identify that we we have so much to offer our people as chiropractors when they're pregnant or when they're raising their families. I saw a group of of professional women, you know, midwives who were, you know, they were the top of their field. They were exceptional at what they did. They were motivated, passionate, present, um, you know, doing the hard yards. And um, but I could see incongruency everywhere. I could see different hospitals really showing up with very different models um, and experiences for the women and families that were plugging into them. So kind of like if you have your baby at one hospital versus another hospital with identical modes of models of care, say like a midwifery group practice or something like that, that there was really big differences based on where and whom you ended up, you know, where and whom you ended up having your baby with. And I started to think, hell, you know, we, we've just got a capacity in our education as we're walking beside pregnant mums to really be helping them to kind of tap into the strengths and maybe also kind of lean away from the weaknesses of the system a little bit. And that's always kind of been a mantra that I've brought back into practice and working with mums and dads and families and their kids, um, that my job is not always to have the answer but just to really walk beside families and help to support them to find who they need at the time um, that's going to best support them to have a positive experience. Um, but it sounds like whole- then that you, you met half the people that maybe then were in the process of setting up this birth house in Geelong. Um, and then, <laughs> yeah. that, that, then that goes back no. to that, that question that yeah. I had of part one question, which is yeah. how then did you practice as a Cairo as a new mom as well? So, so carry, okay. carry that journey on. Carry, carry on. So, I went back to practice and, and this is a really, really interesting um, opportunity for people to kind of go back to their own circle and un- kind of interview the women in your chiropractic space and ask them this question. But when I had Violet, so that's our first baby, I went back at about eight months postpartum 
my breastfeeding journey was bloody awful. Um, I did manage to stick with it and both of the kids had a really long breastfeeding experience. But if anything and everything could go wrong with my feeding journey, it did. Um, and uh, again, profound learning um, in that in that time and it certainly helped me to be a better chiropractor. But God, it sucked um, at the time. And so I was pretty slow. I did end up having to have a little procedure on one breast. Um, I was very slow back to, um, feeling a sense of readiness into practice, but I also did lose my mum and my grandmother sort of in that, um, six to 12 months before our first arrived. So I had just no maternal support happening at all. So I was like oh. literally all over the freaking shop. Yeah. Um, and we were positioned that I could have time away from the practice and that was not going to be a problem for us in terms of the practice or financially, right? So that was a blessing. And I say that straight up because that's a conversation I have with a lot of, of chiropractors that they just are not positioned to take time away from practice because they cannot afford it. And that's kind of really sad and scary for me. And that comes in two ways. The mums and I'm, you know, the, the mums basically not feeling that they can step away for lots of reasons. And then also the dads, um, you know, in Andy's situation, because I needed to be at home, he needed to keep the the very fresh practice rolling. And I would say he was kind of the, the one that got sacrificed in that time. But um, I had eight months off with V and then I went back very, very part-time, like one shift a week for about two months and then I sort of slowly graduated back up to three shifts a week I think it was um I've done everything since then from two shifts a week to six days a week based on the needs of the practice um as they've flexed you know changed and and flexed and extended and then also um, when we had our second, which was three years later, I actually had a much longer maternity leave. So I had 15 months off, um, mostly because by that stage, I realized my, I didn't feel, um, I just, I didn't have a good support circle. We'd moved to a new town and the rest. And the first time I felt like I was running on empty until I was pregnant again. So then the second time I was much more boundaried. I'm going to have a nice big break. Um, and then I went back to about three half days again, and I still do that now. So we're talking like that child's now 13. Um, and I have, like I said, I've done a million different models of hours in the practice based on typically where we've been at with chiro- other chiropractors who've been there to help or illness or whatever. But I'm also the person that if someone's going on holidays or they do, you know, they they have some unexpected leave for illness or whatever, I usually will sort of step up to do a little bit more whereas Andy not so much he's kind of doing a bigger package of hours and he still does the bigger package of hours hey let's just uh roll with it as we tend to in this podcast anyway uh I think we yeah. did have a, a, a brief outline but I love the way we're sort of just following this pathway anyway so let's just um let me pick up on that thing you said about um not ready financially to take the break you know what I mean now I think you guys yeah. are in a unique situation with chiropractors where your husband and wife and both involved in the business and all that sort of stuff yeah. but uh, I can imagine most female chiropractors are not married to chiropractors. And um, as a result of that, then there's this also the mentality of, and and I can imagine the female chiropractor probably brings in a, a relatively large percentage of the income for that couple as well. 
So what can people do or what can female chiropractors do to kind of ready themselves for that situation? I think I always say I'm the CEO and he's the CFO. So there's part of me that um, isn't, I don't feel like I'm the person to be speaking about profit. <laughs> it's, it's a swear word in chiropractic, profit. It took me a long time to actually learn how to say it out loud and be okay with that. But I think there needs to be a reality check about the fact that we don't work in an industry that has abundant maternity leave, right? So obviously across the world there's different models. Here in Australia there's like some government kind of kickback maternity leave, which is really not a lot um, of weeks or support. Um, And if you earn a bit, you don't get that. So that's not always available to chiropractors. Um, But I, I don't do. think it's, it's not unique to chiropractic either, though. I think it's uh, anyone who's self-employed or, or right. like in that situation where you're your own boss. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, if you're not involved directly in the business, quite often the business suffers um, yes. with yes. reducing income or reducing I, profit as a result of the key player being removed from the game for anywhere from three to 15 months, you know. Um, Correct. But if you're positioned, I think where I was kind of hoping to go with that is that I see chiropractors do some seriously fine-tuning to their health and well-being before they have a baby in a lot of instances, like this preconceptive care. You know, there's cleansers and green smoothies happening everywhere. But if we're really thinking about are we taking the preconceptive cleanse to our office, our practice, in terms of understanding where our overheads are, where our systems and procedures perhaps could be tightened up a little bit for a transition period, you know, do we need to recruit? Do we need to be recruiting? I I see things like, you know, recruiting at the last minute because I can't really afford to have another chiropractor there and then we haven't got this nice big strong handover or nice big communication handover, retention drops, you know, the maternity leave person's not there for a really long time so they're maybe not as invested as you are. So we sort of see this like statistics and profitability dip um, that is maybe it's sort of a reality but we don't like to talk about it because we may be a little bit more optimistic about how that will go. So, you know, I know when I'd had kids like this conversation was nowhere to be found and I would argue that even you know here we are 20 nearly 20 years later and honestly um I'm still yet to hear people having really strong sensible conversations about what that might mean both in that how like how your business is running effectively and then also um the sort of the physical and the neurophysiological side of what it means to be pregnant and postpartum again dirty word Chiropractors seem to think that they're immune to being postpartum, but we're postpartum for life. You know, how we manage and support ourselves in that initial period is kind of key. Um, uh, We definitely want to go down that physical side of things too. However, let's go back to the – because you were talking a lot about the practice owner perspective too, right? And and you were talking – you know, you mentioned the Edwina pod where we were talking about the career associate and the difference between, you know, are you a failure if you're – a you never own your own practice versus you know being a career associate. But um, t- talk to me about. I love that idea of like you know preconceptive 
care or cleansing or preparation you know um and yet a big part of that is not a financial cleanse you know is looking at the reality if you're a chiropractor and you know say an, an associate chiropractor and you know your income is x for the standard month yeah. And yet you are, you know, part of that preconceptive care needs to be the the planning around, well, what happens when there is a 12-month hole in my finances, you know, and what do I need to do along with my green smoothies to prepare for uh, the reality that the cash tap or, you know, just the, the, the income is going to be turned off, you know? Yeah, 100%. And... I would say I've seen and observed, I've not contributed to, but I've seen some conversations on a couple of on like Facebooky type platforms of women chiros where like someone goes, oh, yay, I'm pregnant. I'm just exploring how much time I should be having away from practice. Um, and honestly, well, I, like I said, eight months and 15 months were my two like firm no adjusting time um and i have yet to find a chiropractor on the planet based on forums and conversations who did do that as in the average chiropractor and a lot of them anywhere from 2 to 6 weeks postpartum to return back to a full adjusting schedule is not an outlier conversation. So three to four months might be about, you know, normal or typical. And again, this is not objective, guys, because it's almost a bit, it's almost not PC, I don't reckon, to be having these conversations where it's not equitable and why why shouldn't we be able to go back to work? Well, we should be positioned to go back to work whenever we choose, but the conversations that I sort of see and have been involved with is I have to go back to work because, and it's usually not because I love adjusting spines and, I, you know, lighting up nervous systems brings me joy. It's not that. It's usually because, <laughs> you know, we cannot pay the bills, the locum fell through, we literally can't afford it. Um, this happened, that happened, and this happened that I didn't really forecast and there's no slush fund. Um, and things like, um, and again, this is an individual choice, but, you know, women literally actively having to um, tape, band, belt their pelvis back together to get through an adjusting shift or like the most, uh, and conversations around, you know, I got blaring mastitis one day because there literally was not time for me to manage my supply. I had to wean because, you know, I went back to work and it was fine, but I did have to wean because um, my supply just didn't keep up. And, I, you know, I just go, my brain and my understanding of how the body works goes, you know, that's because your cortisol and adrenaline was probably at the roof because at that time your midbrain is so sensitized because you're a mammal and you've just had a baby um, that you've had to thrust your, yourself back into an environment that you weren't quite ready for and your body's had to talk back at you. Um, and I, I think that's, I think as Kairos, there's the businessy side, which, as I said, I'm I'm growing my skills in that space. But I think there's people like you 
and other talented people who've done a lot of work on the business side that could be so constructive in leading better conversations for for both parents, the dad and the mum or however that family dynamic, you know, all families come in different shapes and sizes these days, um, that we get that side right. But the physiological side, really understanding that are we giving ourselves as women and as chiropractors the same advice um, and guidance and love and support that we would give to our patients or clients if they were in that age and stage of their life? And I would argue that we don't. Yeah, and there's an obvious disconnect there when you're sort of uh, giving advice on one hand and then not following it yourself, isn't it? You know? And yeah. we definitely want to go into that. But while we were still talking yes. on the um the business side of things um and yeah i so want to get into that physical and exactly what you said about advice and you know return from maternity what that looks like physically yeah. on yourself yeah. um however like when you were talking about like is there what's what's your best advice you give people in that situation either as an associate or a practice owner what you know what what's the best thing that you've I, I guess the answer to that is just be ready you know uh, create a slush fund um you know um be prepared realize that um you're better off having more people in the building than you need for a period of time that might cost you a little bit of money in the short term, but in the long run, it's going to be so much smoother. Like what's your advice in in that sort of situation to, well, firstly to the associate and then to the practice owner? Okay. One, really understand your business, like really understand what you bring financially and, and, and in other levels and into the business. So um, for me, you know, even just leadership around systems, procedures, HR, that kind of stuff. So that was a bit, that's, that was and still is a huge part of what I bring. And so having a rock solid um, practice manager on site in place where I have actively delegated a ton of stuff early, like first trimester early, not or even before, in in for those who can plan out pregnancy, like, you know, which is nobody, but for those who've got a situation where they really are planning in advance, put those things in place well before you're pregnant or as early as you possibly can when you're pregnant. Not, not when I'm 12 weeks and still vomiting every day or, you know, 25 weeks and something unbeknownst happens or I look, you know, touch wood, but we have a situation where, you know, I'm in the 30s and something goes terribly wrong and I have to pull back from work completely because my health or my baby's health is not great. Um, We have to sort of plan to prepare for all things to happen, I think, if we really are being strategic if we were in a working from a business model that we know is going to have safety nets, we would kind of have that stuff in place and or self-identifying well ahead of time, hell, I cannot work this out by myself. I need to engage a business support, a coach, a mentor or someone and reach out early in the piece to see how um, how that might work for me. Um, I think that that's one that's one thing. But secondly, I think we have to lean into what we know neurophysiologically and biomechanically about pregnant women and apply that to ourselves, like gift that to ourselves that we are, yes, a chiropractor, but we are just a mum. 
and there's no way to not just a mum, we're a mum, we're a really strong, powerful mum, but that we actually can't hack around the reality of what's going to happen to us physically yeah, and emotionally and chemically. Well, absolutely. The um, Just lastly on that financial side of things, the, the as, as rewarding and amazing it is to be a chiropractor, the, the one problem we have with it in terms of being a business is you physically have to be present in the room to provide it. You know, and so uh, it's kind of relevant, I think, in this discussion in the way that, you know, you, you, you maybe other professions can work from home a couple of mornings a week or a couple of days a week when they're returning from um, and, and sort of have an ability to sort of hand over baby to dad while you're on an hour Zoom organizing stuff. But the reality is you've got to be physically back in the building in order to earn an income as a chiropractor. And I think this is super frustrating for a lot of people in that situation too, where it's like, well, you're forced to be physically doing chiropractic in order to, yeah. get, you know, uh, have an income, and and that's that's uh, a real and problem. Which I, then, can I ask though, how many days a week do you adjust? Well, two. Yes, correct. There you go. The end. <laughs> so put, put yourself in a situation where you're not having to be that chiropractor. Like maybe that's the preconception care is recognizing that I need to pass the baton forward to another younger or, you know, or another, another younger. That's terrible. I take that back, you know, to another chiropractor that might choose to join you or um, like we were really blessed with Nicole coming in with us. She's such a cracker. So she has been with us for a long, long time. And again, she was running her own practice, but really was, she's profoundly self-aware, Nicole. She's just modest and humble and beautiful. Um, And she was already like, I am not doing this whole manage my own practice thing and having a family at the same time. So she used to come in and get adjusted. Um, And she used to kind of joke, like when I have kids, I'm I'm just going to like step away from my practice and I'm going to come and work here. And we were just kind of lucky that we had this little tag team thing going. Like I, you know, I got, I, you know, we've kind of had kids around the same time and almost like high-fived coming in and out at each other. But there is no reason if we leave our egos at the door that chiropractors can't come together and be working, you know, like co-inhabiting to keep overheads low and things like that. I think there's a little bit of creative strategy that I mean GPs do it all the time where there's like other chiropractors with different brands working under the same roof like I think it's kind of and especially now with the cost of living and everything else kind of skyrocketing I think maybe it's time for us to get a little bit creative when how we run and manage or even the type of models of practice that's kind of the norm to make things a little bit better and more supportive, I don't, I don't know. I don't have the answer for that part. Like yeah. I think no, that that's you where... know what it it makes me. So you when you're asking me how many days I practice, um, it's it's almost like I've always said that. I think as a professional uh, chiro or whatever, you either take the pathway of becoming the ultimate guru, right, and being the person yeah. that everyone needs to see and queue out the door, and you know you're really busy, and and that's the way your career path goes, you know. Or you do kind of what I do, which is, um, you know, no one really knows who owns the businesses. I'm kind of like managing things from the background. Um, and uh, But then that's particularly relevant maybe for the mum-to-be, you know, where yes. you have been as a non-mum chiro, the guru, right, and you've been 
really identifying or your identity is wrapped up in that. And then that's part of the challenge is then kind of like, well, what do I do? You know, what's my identity if I'm a mum Cairo, you know, working, uh, seeing, what, you know, a tenth of the sort of people that I used to see? Um, how, how does that work, you know? So, but I think you're right. I think that's part of it is like how how then though do you, but not everyone's privileged enough to be in that situation to be able to have maybe a yeah. couple of people then working with them or underneath them or you know tutoring them all that sort of stuff um and that's that's a big challenge i think but oh, it's a I'm massive we challenge. identified it well, yep that's right and maybe some other really clever people can solve <laughs> can solve that problem <laughs> um i think for me it's just it's like not the elephant in the room it's like a whole herd of elephants that come you know driving down at at so many women um, and families and even people who like I I kind of think there's some really great people like yourself who are fostering this fabulous environment to kind of come to work every day and and help some people who probably are want to be quite compassionate and supportive and even um you know, maybe offer some options and and direction on what might might work or might, what might not work. But it's also like it's kind of tricky when you're a guy and you've got this young pregnant person in your practice and you're there going, hmm, I can see that you can barely walk, um, let alone bend over and side posture someone. But, you know, you're not really positioned to be like, is it time to kind of finish up work yet? Um, like it's really tricky. And and, and I, I mean, we've We've been really, um, we've had a few, you know, pregnancies in our practice of chiropractors as as the mums and the dads, um, and we've had really great healthy working relationships where we've been able to kind of, like I've kind of felt like I could say I'm worried about your well-being, um, that you're overextending yourself. Like is there anything we can be doing to support you to, you know, take it a bit easier or have you got any any ideas about how this might work better for you, whether that's like reducing your volume or, um, you know, some strategies that I've spoken to chiros about who perhaps are like, I literally have to work to 37 weeks. There is no if, buts or maybes. This is like we're going to lose our house if I don't keep working. And I go, okay, um, that's that's really, you know, but, but if I get a call and someone's 37 weeks pregnant and they're like, have you got any tips? Well, there would be things like doing less hours in a working day. So I think um, if you haven't got other kids at home, being out, being in gravity for less periods of time, flexed over a table is smarter. So you might do, you know, uh, four four days a week with a three-hour shift instead of two days a week doing six and a six-hour shift, if that makes sense, yeah. or even like breaking up your day so there's you know in every two hours you might have a little 10 minute reset where you can have a stretch or even just a child's pose on the ground to get your pelvic floor out of gravity a little bit um, can sometimes just be decompressive enough tonally to that abdominal wall that we can kind of hack around um, what that might be doing to us um or even I know a lot of chiropractors lean into things like pelvic stability belts, shorts, banding, and uh, to kind of basically give them a girdle support while they're working um, as pregnant and certainly in the postpartum period. But 
we really do need to remember that those things are proprioceptive devices that are telling that tone to be switched on. So if we're working every day and we're kind of like throwing those shorts back on and telling our tummy to be tight and our pelvic floor to be tight, that, you know, there'll be a point where the baby needs to come out and that may not work in our all favour. And I know that that's kind of perhaps not the world's most objective and evidence-based piece of advice, but it certainly seems to be a common one. It's common common sense, absolutely. I mean, this uh, conversation has rolled nicely into all these physical things, so let's just carry on down this path, you know. I mean, um, what what are the other challenges of... um, uh, you know practicing up until you're 37 or maybe if you're a you know you're a Cairo with 10 years experience and you've been doing one side of the table adjusting for 10 years um what what are those sort of challenges and then what are the postpartum challenges too yeah so the thing um that I would really invite people to sit with and that this sit with as the as the pregnant person themselves but also sit with as the as the as the colleague as the mentor as the business owner as the person you know that's watching their 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 current their pregnant colleague adjusting um is if we were giving advice to a pregnant pregnant patient what would it be and you know really from the first trimester frank abdominal activation is not encouraged so you know we ditch the sit-ups pretty early um and we ditch that you know brisk abdominal flick that you might get in the gym away because we know that that's not a good idea so if you've ever watched someone adjust you know say a side posture adjusting even a prone thoracic adjustment often as we are dropping into that you know p to a force we are usually lifting our pelvic floor and drawing our abdominal wall in it's actually kind of it's something that i've you know i've watched and thought about this for far too long really um but the reality is is we we go oh, don't do that because you're pregnant you shouldn't do it but we're going to go and adjust 50 people and maybe do it three times you know That's three awesome. times with each person and i've just done 150 crunches in an average adjusting day um and you know let's face it all of us like to think that we're working bilaterally on the table to look after our own spine and nervous systems but most of us have got a dominant adjusting hand and you know, we're we're dealing with a lot of uni unilateral kind of, you know, every time we're adjusting, it's like bang, bang, bang. Um and whilst many, many fit, healthy, well people can kind of go way into a pregnancy before their actual anatomy is in the way. So the tummy's not, you know, obviously when you're 38 weeks and you're, you know, knocking into someone with your bump, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, my tummy is totally getting in the way now. But there's a lot of women who carry um, closer to their spine or they've got a beautiful long torso, the kind of bump doesn't protrude out heaps. But that doesn't stop that anatomy reality of that tonal impact of pelvic floor abdominal wall going bang, bang, bang all day. Um, Equally, if you are some sort of wizard, like a yogi or Pilates like CrossFit champion or something that I don't understand in in its complexity and you can turn those off, then we're sort of seeing a situation where you're driving a lot of pressure into lumbosacral junction, um, probably hurting yourself in a different way, So, which I think you've had experience with blowing out discs and things like that. So yeah, um, from memory, fun. is that and correct? That, yeah. yeah, that would yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I, yeah. 
definitely Blaine being a chiropractor is a big part of that as well. Um, yes. Unilaterally doing stuff. Um, yeah. Bending, so rotating. Few, yeah. So a few things, and this is something that I kind of start observing again, and that kind of curious mind are kind of taken in all the time. And I saw similar presentation in some osteos that I was adjusting and some physios that I was adjusting. And then we see like a zillion uh, midwives and nurses as clients in the practice. And just, you know, they have that kind of unilateral one-sided like posture or next to a a bed, a bit like we would a Cairo table. And I was seeing these kind of same, same um, subluxation patterns, if I can call it that, where like this pelvic floor, um, like lower sacrum and coccyx, just no good, sacrotuberous, no good, like really hypothesizing that pelvic floor was overactive. Started to see I'm feeling like these people are having higher incidences of um, abdominal separation. I'm certainly hearing um, scary conversations around prolapse as being, I always think of prolapse pelvic floor prolapse as a little bit more like a pressure valve. So often we've kind of got this idea that you have, you know, five babies and everything gets really weak and loose and then you just prolapse. Whereas my um, feeling and my, I think if we tapped into a great women's health physio and had a good conversation about this, they would probably talk about the fact that a lot of prolapse would come off the back of hypertonicity or overactivity of the pelvic floor. So like if we get to the gritty and start having really open conversations with a lot of women who've had babies and are in practice, there's some scary stuff around incidents of prolapse continence issues in chiropractors because I think they've, you know, everything's been really tight and active and then we've kind of had this we've pushed too hard or had a tough birth or perhaps not have that capacity for recovery because we've needed to go back into practice and then over time that's caught up with us or even acutely that's caught up with us and that kind of sucks like I think we need to be having better combos about that even can we talk about postpartum or am I talking too much well, actually, let's just pick you up on one point. I think my knowledge yep. on this uh, topic has kind of like uh, lost a couple of the modern okay. inferences, one being okay. compression shorts. I was uh, having a chat to one of my chiros uh, yesterday and we were talking oh. about the old Category 2 belt, you know, like the pelvic belt yeah. or that sort of thing, right? Yeah, love them. Can you yep. now just get a pair of shorts that, do, that does that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Gosh, you, you really need They would have been around when you would have had <laughs> – your kiddos, I reckon. But that's not, really, like, is, is that a pregnancy thing or is that just like yeah, a tummy flattening thing? Be, it used to be no, a bit of everything really. But initially um, there was, and I'll be careful not to use brands, but there was some shorts that probably came on the market, I'm going to say a good 10 years ago, and they've got a really great place in the postpartum space. So mm-hmm. imagine this like bike shorts, but they go up really high. They're really high-waisted, and they essentially have a bit of compression support. Hey, we can mention abdomen. names uh, because I'm looking for a new sponsor for the podcast, so, you know. Um... Hey. No, can we wait till I finish the conversation and then you can? <laughs> And then there's definitely because it might not be as endorsing as what you as what you are thinking I'm going. Yeah. So okay. initially, and they are really great. Um, and I, you know, if you're listening to this and you're pregnant, um, even just heading to Target or Kmart and getting some really 
high-waisted bonds, like um, a little bit of control brief um, is fabulous when you've had a baby. So when you've got no abdominal wall tone, you know, everything's a bit mushy afterwards, but the reality is you've got about two seconds and you have to be lifting and feeding and taking care of a human. So um, that can be providing the external proprioceptive support to build enough tone and stability in your pelvis your pelvic bowl and in your spine and around your you know SIs etc to just enable you to function that's what they're designed for um they then bought them in for antenatal shorts so essentially for um pubic symphysis dysfunction pelvic instability SI trouble low back pain they're really they're adopted by a lot of women Um, They're highly recommended by lots of um, other, you know, physios tend to recommend them highly. There would be chiropractors that would be listening to this and probably even stock them in their practice. They can be brilliant. Like they can be, they can be life changing for a mum of three who, whose reality is, is that she has to, you know, function to get the toddlers to bed and look after other kids, et cetera. But they are really designed for instability. They're not, I would argue that they're not clinically indicated for people with pain, with hypertonicity or overactivity, but they're used for that. And they're often used for like, I'm got to go to my sister's wedding on the weekend and wear high heels. And if I don't have a girdle sucking me in and holding me together, I'm going to blow my pelvis out or uh, I'm going to wear them to work for the last six weeks of work because I cannot function without the shorts Um, So I'm going to wear them or the belt or the banding or there's lots of other versions to kind of get me through. They have a place but they're not designed to be utilised like I I would argue that there is a consequence of using them antenatally for long and extended periods of time for activities of daily living that are not necessary. If that person, you've done a trial of care, adjusting's not helpful, they're not, they can't, they literally can't modify their activities or what you're doing isn't working, I think that they can be a great option, but I don't think we should be handing them out like. Yeah. But I, I think that that's one of the differences between UK and Oz Life is that I think, um, I don't think it's as readily discussed or available in the UK as it is in Australia. Like the idea of actually having these for sale at a physio or a chiro, I'm pretty sure, and I'm probably going to be corrected um, as being wrong, but yeah. I don't think it's really happening over here in the UK, you know. But um, They're in the maternity wards. Like in the yeah. private hospital, you can buy them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And a lot of women have got versions. There's, and the ones that are sort of sold, they're often they're quite pricey. Um, I think even some private health insurance companies, you can, you know, like get rebates for them and stuff. And like I said, they can be awesome, but I would argue that they're, they're inviting people to be doing things that are outside their physiological range, including yeah. adjusting. So yeah, we've got to be a little bit mindful. Which yeah. That goes back into the full cycle. But that, that also, yeah. the difference over here as well is that, um, you know, a much higher percentage of maternity pregnancy delivery is done in your standard NHS hospital um, and a very low percentage is done privately, whereas it's, um, I don't know, would it be 50-50 in Australia or what? Uh, no way. Um, I think the, no, nah, I don't actually, I don't yeah, actually yeah. know. 
is the answer. That's right. I, but look, they, uh, it, it went it went full cycle there though. It was a nice little sort of thing you did there where you brought it right back to the Cairo wearing <laughs> these shorts uh, and then sort of being able to get back into practice earlier than they should do and therefore compromising their own personal health and mum journey um, by coming back too early and by, you know, using these devices to or, you know, support to put them into a situation where maybe they shouldn't be, you know. Um, yes, yes, yes. And, you know, postpartum, I think there's this kind of like loose idea around this whole six weeks palaver. So, you know, you have your baby and six weeks later you have a checkup which is essentially this very, very broad um, tick, of, tick of approval that there is no blatant major medical concern with you. But there is a reason why obstetricians and midwives, birthy people, give advice that it's probably not a fabulous idea to have a baby for another 12 months. Um, so, you know, especially for those women who are having abdominal or cesarean births or deliveries they um which you know in australia is a is a pretty high proportion i would say in many many hospitals here the um mode of birth would be much higher um through cesarean delivery than in than vaginal deliveries so i think you'll find that's quite different to the uk i think the vaginal outcomes are still higher if my stats are right would that yeah, be right sure. yep yeah, like yeah. There, there is an NHS uh, target, I think, of, um, you know, caesareans, as in kept at a, at yeah. a certain level, you know. And yeah. I, I don't I know what that is. But. I think they still throw around that, you know, like 30% in Victoria or that is, um, is caesarean or 30-something, but there must be like these nirvanas around the country where like all these people having vaginal births because I feel like I have a pretty good sense of <laughs> some of the different hospitals and I'm very, very sure that there's not many of them that are having um, one in three cesareans. I think it would be probably the other way if we wow. were able to access that information and I can say that confidently. So... Um, I- you know what we didn't what do that, though is we we didn't yeah. actually ever evolve that discussion about you and the birth house, right? Because yeah, uh, yeah, you know you cool. started the journey of you saying, well, I went and did this extra training for my own personal benefit and professionally, and then that sort of yeah. led to having stronger network with uh, some it's, movers and shakers in the maternal maternity wor- world. Um, and then yes. so t- tell us about what happened there, where you were basically, I believe, part of uh, the birthing team. Um, which yeah, is some, a pretty unique times, situation. Yeah. yeah, so a beautiful um, group of midwives came together and opened a private practice, which was essentially like a multidisciplinary hub focused on the pregnant family and um, the postpartum period. And also part of their offering was a team of private midwives working in a midwifery group practice model so essentially like you would have in the public system over here where you have one one midwife one known midwife that guides you along the way and then there's a second midwife that comes into the picture as a backup and is there for a second midwife when the birth happens so they set up their own private model um, in Geelong and it ran for, well, the, we were in the birth house. We were the very first practitioners in the birth house. So before they'd got the birthing side going, we were invited to come over and um, offer chiropractic there. So we had a room in this building 
Um, and there was a second building on site that was set up as a birth retreat. And then also that same team was offering um, home birthing. Like There were plenty of families that just chose to have their babies at home, but there were some that were out of the region that um, would travel in and use the retreat because it was only about 500 metres from the hospital too. So for those people who perhaps were like regional, you know, quite the way away from town, um, would use it as a bit of a, as a segue in between. Um, and that model was wildly successful. I feel absolutely privileged to have seen um, and been part of on the edges, I guess, um, of that of that of that team and that group. Um, there were hundreds of women that birthed with these midwives, and their out- outcomes statistically were absolutely unbelievable. Um, in in terms of happy, healthy mums, but um, and families, but yeah, their vaginal or their physiological birth rates were, you know, well, well into the nineties. Um, you know, and outcomes just across the board. I think there would be undeniable that it was enviable stats. But also, what what really manifested was this hub of, you know, great services and people, and there was tons of education. So we were adjusting. We had our own adjusting space there. We also taught I taught um, as part of the childbirth education team we taught a early parenting program Um, I also was asked to teach professional development for midwives so I did lots and lots of that over 10 years and again Mm. we were just building this beautiful collaborative network of midwives from all over like they'd travel in from interstate to come and kind of see how it all went and and there was many times where I was invited in to perhaps work with a mum while she was labouring or, you know, soon after um, to help her or baby out. Um, we sort of had a bit of a rule that we'd only work with families that we had already established a relationship with so they'd come to see us as clients. So um, rather than, you know, mum rocking up in labour and the chiros, you know, flying on in with the activator, it wasn't like that at all. Um <laughs> But, yeah, what I saw there was the potential of what chiropractic really can offer. Like I think you see, and obviously we're restricted by our um, by our advertising guidelines in terms of how far I can take this conversation, but I would say that I just got, you know, there's nothing more powerful um, in terms of a physiological expression of innate intelligence than watching an undisturbed birth. And I think when I say that, a birth where that woman is supported and trusted to just tap into her own body um, and really work with her own body to to bring this baby out. And I saw some really brilliant um, and amazing things and I I. I think just even in that space as an observer of what the human body and physiology is capable of is just uh, was such a profound experience at a learning level. But then I also, yeah, witnessed moments where the Cairo and what the, the power of an adjustment, um, the power of working with the structure, but also the nervous system was just really visibly impactful for mums. And um, I also found myself kind of simplifying what I did. Like I think before the birth house time, you know, I like we'd written our own childbirth education program and we had all this extra stuff going on. Like I wanted, you know, to have my 
pregnant mum come in, I wanted to adjust her, but I wanted to teach her about, you know, breathing techniques and spinning babies techniques and all this other stuff. And then as time has evolved and as I've perhaps grown more mature in my chiropractic journey as well, I've kind of come this whole full circle. Um, My feeling now, and as we got better at guiding and educating and maybe even at adjusting, my need to be at that birth became less and less and less because I don't think women need to have a chiropractor there to have a baby. I think they're very, very capable of doing that all on them, all on their own. Like mm-hmm. my job is to make sure that she's feeling so strong and safe and her nervous system's working so well that when that all happens on its own, we don't need to be part of that. Um that makes sense um yeah, no, no it's uh it's great because it's like you know you you want to be there as part of that sort of preparation in the lead up to it but you don't want to be the distraction um you know in the room while um things are happening hey so yeah um, i hmm. i also really changed my you know i grew up I grew up as a chiropractor when I had my you know we'd go to conferences and we'd hang out with people and we'd hear these stories about how these babies would be born and then very very soon after you know, there might be a, the dad who's a Cairo or something like that might be adjusting the child straight up at birth. Whereas I, I'm not into that because I think the innate intelligence of a baby should be under, under undisturbed in those first moments. I think that that neurophysiology is wired into be working its way to connecting with the mum. At that time, I think things like very early breastfeeding reflexes and things like that should not be muddled with. I think yeah. that baby yeah. should be just given a wee second, if that makes sense. So almost like a bit less is more. The more I learnt, the more I got confident to know when not to adjust or when not to be there or when not to be involved and when to just trust that the body knows what it's doing. Um and that was something that I learned from the midwives. That's such a cool, that's something else that's lacking in any space of healthcare, Cairo, whatever, is is a bit more philosophical discussion, exactly like some of the statements you've just made, you know, about, you know, if you strip it back, we're all here to sort of support that innate wisdom that's kind of on the inside, hey, of everyone. And you don't want yeah. to get on the road of that. You want to sort of support that. And probably no better time to think about that than the newborn, hey? Um, yeah, yeah. And I I really realised that perhaps I was watering down that, you know, with all of the things, um, trying to help her to have, feeling like the more I packed in to the consult or to the adjusting schedule, um, accessorising the Cairo, if I can call it that, the, the better that would be for her. But nowadays it's really, it's very simple. And I want to say it's straighter because I think um, I think my Cairo, like I don't know if I would define myself that way, but I would say I'm wildly respectful of what innate intelligence has to offer someone and I'm sure as well I'm not going to get in the way of that. Um, unless I'm really, really requested to do so, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. And I do, I really, really, really strongly believe that the work as a chiropractor that we have to offer pregnant mums, it comes in the pregnancy, 
not necessarily in the birth, which would be quite an outlier idea to those people who really play in that birth space. And there are lots of lots of chiros sort of merging into that space. Meaning that it's more like important helping the postural gravity changes that sort of happen yeah. through pregnancy and then you're just handing that over, you're trying to get that balance as best that you can and then it's over to the innate wisdom of the body just to deal with that the best you can you know and yeah like like in, any woman that is like either a professional athlete or a chiropractor creating tension or any of these sorts of things that comes with it a lot of challenge and a lot of uh, muscle memory and 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 changes that do not promote optimal birthing i think don't they but yeah, then Absolutely, um, absolutely. But, but then that's it. You know, you you do all you can to sort of try and help create that 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 readiness by um, by the the female body for what is a natural process. You know. Yeah, and I tell you what, um, we still are overlooking the nervous system in that conversation. So I see lots and lots of chat about biomechanics and and structure and active birth exercises and all the rest but fundamentally like that nervous system that primitive nervous system that really I really do think that that whole brain that changes itself or that nervous system is literally emerging and evolving and functionally adapting through pregnancy and then through birth like there's these shifts that go like if your if your observation and I hope I'm not getting too woo-woo for you on a this late in my night but in your morning but there's if if we're quiet enough to truly sit into observing the soft signs that happen in someone's body as they are as they are more pregnant, as they are emerging into parenthood or motherhood, um, which is not changes in range of motion or, you know, orthopedic testing. It's looking at that nervous system slowly um, sensitizing itself, feeling the difference between a sacrum palpation-wise that is 38 weeks and a sacrum that's 41 weeks and, you know, birth is close we as an art form like as chiropractors do we actually know the difference like we're doing and teaching things um you know webster might be a great example of that it's a great little um great little technique to have in your toolkit and uh there i think there is webster coming to australia soon someone's coming i don't know who it is but i did see that um you know it's a great thing to learn and it's a great thing to understand the relationship between the sacrum and the the ligament function of both the uterosacral and round ligament function learning how to assess that adjust that um and know that that's working well for someone you know that's that's like get those things underway get those things like okay you know what do we need to be advising for that woman in that last few weeks around how she should sit lay stand walk exercise whatever but that is not going to teach us um the things that when you're putting your hand on a woman in a late pregnancy knowing how different a sacrum feels when she truly is at term um, is something that can only be learned by going quiet and starting to actually observe those changes. So 
I'm going to give an example because I feel like I'm sounding like a crazy person and this might help. So a lady came in, she was having her second baby. She had her first baby at term. So at her term was, you know, gestation, remember, is any time from 37 to 42 plus weeks, right? So her first baby had been born at that 41-weeker kind of 41-weeker time. And she came in for her adjustment at about 37 plus five, so just under 38 weeks. And she walked in and you can see in when someone's hormones have started to shift up, so they're getting super, you know, estrogenous, um, that body's really, really getting ready for the labour, you will see changes in gait and joint function because those joints and tissues are being bathed by stretchy hormones, Right. Um, so you'll also see sympathetic and nervous system changes. So often that w- woman will have, like I look now because the kids have turned the heater up really high and locked me in this room, <laughs> but she will flush. She will have like a different pallor. You will notice that she perhaps um, has some pupillary changes. So often women in that like one to three days before you'll start to see a midwife said, oh, so that's what the crazy eyes are, you know, to me. So the midwives and the birthy people speak of these things, but they don't necessarily have the neurophysiological lens. So you'll see, you know, pupil dilation, she'll kind of have this shiny hue, she'll flush more, she'll be very centrally sensitized. So her threshold for noise, sound, light, you know, you might find yourself like, you know, closing the blinds, trying to shoo the other kids away that might be, running around the adjusting room because her ability to handle sensory input becomes less. Um, and really I think that's that shift into that sort of midbrain brainstem neurology that we actually start to see that happening. So then we get her on and, and she'll maybe be a little bit emotional or feel like the things that are pulling her away from being nesting at home are being irritating. So she'll come in and she'll be like, you know, or my husband's a pain or um, these kids are driving me crazy and she'll be someone who typically handles that all the time. So this woman came in the other day and I noticed straight away that she looked a different colour, she was moving differently in her body, we got her on the table um, and straight away I could feel there's this fullness and sort of flexibility in that sacrum that feels much, uh, much different to how it had perhaps the week before. So in her mind, she was still three or four weeks away from the gestation of the first pregnancy. And I just said to her, hey, have you been getting any downwards pressure? Um, you know, at any point, like a, where, where are you feeling like the baby's at? And she's like, yeah, I'm getting lots of pressure. It almost feels like the odd Braxton Hicks. How am I ever going to make it to 41 weeks? But my brain's going, this sacrum, which if you read up, um, it's defined as the Michaelis of, rom- of rhombus. So essentially when a, when a baby comes so deep in the pelvic outlet, that there's no room to go for that sacrum but to, to do like a bit of a posterior stretch 
Um, so you kind of like if you've got your hands on the sacrum, you'll almost see like there's like a step between that L5, S1 junction. But the sacrum itself, it kind of feels fuller and it almost looks a little bit, um, It will, you'll actually visibly be able to see it, but it almost feels a bit edematous if I could give it that language to try and make it more clinical. Um, but that's a great sign. I'm fully excited if she's weepy, um, if I can feel that tonal shift in her pelvis, if she's getting downwards pressure, you know, it is game on like we're doing everything right and I said to this mum hey um tell me are you have you got all your things in a row that if this baby kind of decided to make its way out are you ready to go and she's like yep um and I know this is crazy but I don't think I'm going to see you for another adjustment again before this baby comes and I'm like and because I don't i can be a little bit hard to get into sometimes so she's pre-booked a couple more and I'm not going to make it and I said, let's leave it there. But truly, I don't think you will either. And I gave her a big hug. And sure enough, the next morning, um, she'd had her baby. So, and you know, and that, but that comes off decades of putting your hands on full time, you know, full term pregnant pelvises and knowing what that feels like. And I just kind of and go, having been there yourself as well, you know, that's the yeah. Other thing. But I can't palpate my own sacrum. It's not the same. <laughs> like, <laughs> I yeah. Do, yeah. Do you uh, get involved in teaching chiropractors at all? Because <laughs> um, that was a really well, insightful story, by the way, and I wanted you to, uh, <laughs> like, tell that in its completion because I think, you know, uh, it'll be an interesting journey for any listener on this pod, you know, because it's, like, started off as a bit of a business chat and it's evolved into some really lovely, insightful chiro knowledge, you know, um, and wisdom. Well, yeah, I think all birthing people that should be like anyone working around a pregnant mum should be all over that stuff. But it's like a lost start. Am I teaching? Um, I would like to is probably the answer to that. I've done dribs and drabs. <clears throat> I've been invited to do bits and pieces at different times. And Did you say been... uh, when you're over here that you're getting involved in some coaching of chiropractors though or, or not? <laughs> I'm not pretty sure that wasn't public information, Craig. <laughs> Thanks to that. <laughs> Good job. Um, That's right. We, we can delete that. No, uh, and, and, and by no, the way, no, I, uh, I don't delete anything from all my podcasts because no, no, I'm too really lazy. That time. <laughs> I think I don't mind for that. I think I, I see myself, I think I need to get over my own imposter syndrome on the coaching thing. I just yeah. actually, where, where my legacy, where my legacy is, needs to be is um I think we're seeing an emergence there's some beautiful people here in Australia that are really sharing some very very cool stuff around um working safely and effectively with pregnant women and you know hats off to those people roll on guys great job great work um because I think what that's doing is normalizing like we have a bit with peds that the pregnant patient woman really needs artful and considered adaption to her chiropractic care, especially as the pregnancy evolves. Um, so, but equally, where I feel like there is a, a really big wide gap that I would really love to fill at some stage is just coming into not losing that art form of what that work might look like you know early on in the day the geniomes and 
Carol Phillips and people like that, you know, those absolute pioneers and absolute legends would not be getting stuck. You know, they would, you know, I remember Jenny O, I did a work with her early on. You know, you'd have your hand on a patient and or someone and, you know, they're up over the top. You know, they're literally helping you to palpate and feel into what that in what that is. And we're yeah. in this time in terms of evidence-based healthcare where, you know, what you're palpating is not considered kind of um, objective enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah, not yeah. considered important. But it but it's, it's even to the point where, like, I did the Genie Ohm stuff too, and and bless her. Yeah. Um, uh, but now the the you say Webster is being taught hands on in Oz, but you know the the they put together, I believe, a fairly uh, well constructed online program for Webster's now that you can pay whatever it is, and you just get your Webster certification through an online course, which. You know, compared to all that practical stuff you wouldn't have normally got on a weekend, uh, that that isn't great, is it? Well, I think it it dilutes what we do, and that's. Yeah. Um, I just want to hey, make this is a whole other topic for another podcast, I think. But um, what's yeah. uh, you know, we could go into the adjusting of the pregnant uh, person. Do you um do you still side posture anyone who's pregnant? No. Yeah, and so you're sort of trying to work with. I mean, but that's a, I guess, a personal choice type thing, anyway. Does Andy, or does he not see no. anyone who's pregnant? Oh God, he sees millions of pregnant mums. There are mums in our practice that will only see him and not me. I'm not good enough. Um, yeah. <laughs> that, that's a joke, doesn't it? <laughs> no, no, but um, like, um, talk us through that. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you really are trying to get me in trouble. Um, there'll be no chiropractors talking to me at the next conference we go to. Yeah, because uh, it is a discussion that we have in, in our clinics too, you know, and I know Amy Bree who's um, yes. great with uh, yes. Ooh, our I hope our I get women. to meet her time. Yeah, yeah, she's she's amazing. And um yeah. but you know, she has a preference for non side posture. In fact, I think she pretty much doesn't do it. Um yes. uh, and yes. there's there's obviously a whole differing opinion of things uh, about that. Yeah. But yeah, give us your thought on that. So I am I by eight weeks pregnant, there is some pretty significant hormonal spikes going on in a pregnant woman by eight weeks, which would be very much impactful to joint tone and joint stability. So that's why you get those like um, there'll be a bunch of women coming in to see you in your practice who are kind of 8 to 13 weeks pregnant with back pain and or pelvic that what they're defining as pelvic instability and they're absolutely freaking out because their brains go shite um, if I'm already this bad, how am I ever going to survive? But it's actually that there is a singular big hormone spike very, very early on in the pregnancy that does settle right back down. But I believe there are moments where the torsion to the tissues with a side posture adjustment is a bit much for what best serves the pregnant pelvis. and that's super controversial like I I know that there's plenty of chiros that would balk at that but Mm. I really sort of wonder whether the rotation that comes into a side posture adjustment and I know there are some brilliant adjusters that can really efficiently do a P to A sort of side posture adjustment and would argue that there is no rotation in a side posture adjustment but I would say 
that understanding the planes of movement, the uterosacral and round ligament activation, sacro tuberous ligament, and what that's all doing tonally, I'm not really sure it's serving that woman the way a gentle form of adjusting would and does. Um, And and that's where you would have like a whole... um list of options that you can work with as well you know so this is where you take a little bit from webster's a little bit from sot a little bit from activator um all of the webster ligament support work as well and and then that just creates a total package for the woman on top of all that making sure the nervous system from the top down is firing as best and um and and that's the package you offer Mm. yeah i also i think there's another conversation there um, and again, I would hate to speak for her and not quote her accurately, but when I first did Webster, um, Jenny Ohm did speak quite firmly about some ideas around the chiropractors themselves side posturing when pregnant. So um, yeah. again, I don't want to quote her, but that was the, the very first time someone, and like I said, that would be 20 years ago, that someone sort of tabled the idea that um, that we need to be respectful of the changes happening in our body from conception, not just when there's a bump there or a bump that's in the way, um, looking at the much deeper impact to, you know, brisk activation. But, like, I, you only have to get on, like, social media and see, um, you know, pretty very pregnant people being side-postured or... Uh, or even, you know, very pregnant chiropractors adjusting quite vigorously and, like, you just watch the coning in their abdominal wall going, oh, my goodness, like, that's really not um, not ideal. Yeah. Women who are pregnant too often will have vestibular changes. So um, understanding, like I said, thinking like a chiropractor, thinking what's happening neurologically for her, that, yeah, we've got the the biomechanical structural um, stuff going on but there's that so much deeper neurological stuff happening that we want to be thinking about how we're inputting into that nervous system at that time and what it's capable of managing and and trying to serve that adjusting to be as uh as supportive as possible which oh. like i said that's it's a whole other podcast and because you know i want people to stay friends with me i'm not going any further than that <laughs> Uh, you know what? I'm sure, like, it's been a, a great chat, and I think we should draw a line under it at some point. And now seems like a pretty good point because I feel like we've achieved so much in this relatively short period of time. I know it's evening for you and morning for me, and we have created a connection internationally through the use of technology. It's a shame Aye. we can't be in the same room uh, and do this, but anyway. Um, I don't know. That. So, have we, have, did we manage to accomplish? some things today do you think uh i i i I, you know what i I think in summary this whole thing of preparedness is vital you know and um and and that's it's almost like that's the the theme that goes through everything we've discussed today whether you're thinking about life from a financial or a business side of things or whether you're thinking about bringing a a baby into the world um you know the, the better prepared your body can be you're the better prepared you make the pathway of this journey uh trying to be ready for all the unexpected things then the better off you're going to be hey so absolutely and that chiropractic is very cool 
but that you are a chiropractor for life, not just for <laughs> a year or two. So sometimes, you know, creating that space, gifting yourself time and space to just be a mum or a dad yeah. or whatever your journey is, is is a really, it's a great gift that you can that you can give to yourself. I remember, can I tell one more story and then, Do it. And then I'll Do it. When Violet was really little, like I'm thinking less than 10 weeks old, we happened to be um, registered for a James Sigafoos weekend, bless his cotton socks. And part of that was at the end of the weekend, um, you know, you had to kind of stand up and be accountable to what you were going to create for yourself and your community and for chiropractic. So there was people kind of getting up there going like, I am going to open 75 million practices and, um, you know, serve bazillions of people. And I, I I don't think I'd slept. Like we'd been in the hotel room and Violet had been up all night. Like it was just, it was, it was fabulous. And I feel immensely grateful to have been able to be there, but it was like, well, it was a lot. And I think, and then I just, I stood up there and I found myself just saying, for now, my, I am going to look after this person. And I had her, I had her there and I could see there was a few people that thought that was a pretty uninspiring choice. And then (laughs) as we were leaving, um, James Singafoos turned to me and said, good call. And I'm like, thank you. So I know that there'll be people out there that were so inspired by him and what he did um, and what he offered. But also I think that sometimes there's wisdom in just being present with one great thing at a time and and trusting that it will all work out. It really will. And that's that's uh, I did touch on it there earlier, whereby this is the challenge uh, most people have is if you're changing your identity as a chiropractor to a mom, then it takes there's a lot of anxiety around that, you know, and and it's it's anyone. It could be like a sportsman who's retiring at the age of thirty eight, and then all of a sudden they identify themselves as a fast bowler, and now they're a retired fast bowler, <laughs> you know, yeah. or uh, you're 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 changing from from being the Cairo guru to being a mum. And that's, that comes with like loads of challenges, you know, which is why there's probably this also this rush to get back to be that person again, you know, without appropriately spending the time. But um, anyway, hey, look, it's good to, good to have conversations like this. Who knows what it'll uh, achieve? I think I hope lots of, lots of uh, women are empowered by the stuff that we've had uh, discussed today and, yeah, we'll do. We'll have Thanks to do it again some other time. Me. Yeah, I did hear it. It's um, it's not often that people get invited back for a second time. So I was like, I'm gonna, you know, throw it out there straight up that you better ask me back or else. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've already set up. It's like that um, Marvel movie thing, you know, where you're like, uh, yeah. you leave leave them hanging, you know. So there's obviously a whole pile of technical stuff we could go through, but you know, let's just. There's so watch. much. There's so yeah, much here that we could. Yeah, that we could talk through. But you'll have to uh, you'll, you'll have to come over to the UK, and uh, that's when we'll do one. Uh, well, actually, when I'm in next in Oz, maybe we'll have to just create okay. some time. Bring it on! I'm all for it. Take care, and all my love all right. to all of your crew and family. We'll speak soon. All right. Thanks, Caitlin. Hey, well, that was a pretty unique 
chat, really, where we managed to blend business and chiropractic or some technical stuff uh, to help chiropractors who are trying to help other pregnant women and families together. So head over to the at Cairo London pod Insta account and leave a couple of messages there. Um, anything else that you enjoyed or that you'd like to hear more of, then drop us a message over there. And don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. <laughs>